right, gang, if you brought a Bible, why don't you turn it to Ephesians chapter 5, please? Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read three verses in just a few minutes. In interest of full disclosure, uh, I need to be honest and transparent with you. I'm, I'm terribly distracted this morning. Uh, I'm having a hard time staying focused on what I need to be doing. Uh, the message actually finished coming together in the wee hours of the, of the morning, uh, sitting in my office at about 5 o'clock. I was working my way through it, decided to change some of it, kind of adjust some of it. And the reason, I think, for the distraction is, is thank God, we finally sold our house. Uh, we sold our house in Metter. We're, we're now staying in a nice little place below Metter. And for the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, every spare moment, every spare minute of our lives, we've been packing, organizing, labeling, storing, uh, moving, trailering, uh, uh, whatever. Um, Today will be the first Sunday afternoon, and I don't know how long, that we really have nothing to do. Uh, so please, don't call. <laughs> uh, look, in the month of May and June, that's like wedding season. Uh, in nine weekends, I've got six weddings. So Friday nights are gone, Saturdays are gone. So I'm really looking forward to getting this done, going home and propping my feet up. Matter of fact, let's pray and go home. No, it's the distraction that I want to talk about today. Um, I read something from the New York Post last week that I'm not sure it's true, uh, but it was surprising to me. A little baby boy was born a little over a year ago in Ann Arbor, Michigan. His parents chose to name him Joseph, Joseph of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, this past week, little baby Joseph spoke his first word. Now, you know, I'm not a parent, but I know that's a big deal to moms and dads. When baby speaks her first word or, or his first word, I'm sure dad's over there rooting for dada. Dada, you know, and mom hope, mom's hoping it's mommy or mama. Uh, do you know what little baby Joseph's first word was? Alexa. <laughs> now, if you don't know what Alexa is, you've probably been bored out of your head for the last six weeks in our series on technology. The parents blame themselves because they have four Alexa devices throughout their home. Uh, if that is a true story... And baby Joseph's first word was Alexa, then I hope baby Joseph's second words were, I demand a new set of parents, right? Uh, over the past several weeks, we have, I don't know, examined the use of the infection of our affection for the use of technology in American culture. Now, I consider this to be an incredibly relevant subject. I consider this to be something... Uh, worthy of our attention, but it has been received with mixed reviews. It seems that everyone over the age of 35 or 40 is cheering me on, you know? Pastor Mike, we need to hear this. Pastor Mike, go after this. Pastor Mike, I can't hold a job interview without having a young person stare at his phone when they're seeking a job from me. Pastor Mike, hit it. And everybody 30 and under wonder, when's it going to be over, all right? Look, I've had one simple goal, one simple goal, not trying to be anyone that I'm not, uh, I simply want you to pause for a moment. I, I want you to reflect for a second. I, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of impact is technology having on my family, uh, on our sense of community and churches? Uh, what is the impact on our culture? What is the impact personally on my faith walk? We chose this verse, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, kind of as our theme verse. Solomon wrote, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
Guard your intention, guard your affections, guard your motivations. That all comes from the heart in the mind of a biblical author. So guard these things because that's what's going to determine the path of your life. So I believe nothing in the past 30 years has captured the affection, the attention, the investment of American culture like the explosion of internet technology. That's why I think it's so relevant. Now look, I've gone way out of my way to steer clear, trying to sound like that Old Testament prophet, you know, with the long beard and the staff, you know, crying out in the wilderness. You know, I'm not your curmudgeonly old grandfather who because he doesn't understand or appreciate something, just tears it down every chance he gets. That's not my goal either. I've worked very hard to, to get my terminology straight. Uh, I've worked very hard not to sound reactionary or, or overly invested in the subject. But listen, especially moms and dads, you all know the dangers that's out there, right? You all know the danger exists. I asked parents last week and got a lot of blank stares. Moms, dads, do you know what incognito tabs are? Incognito tabs are used in your phone's browser to cover your tracks. For no other reason than to erase your trail so that no one can come behind you and find out what you've been doing or where you've been going on the worldwide intraweb. <laughs> Somebody's invented incognito tabs. Chad Reinbold reminded us a couple of weeks back that it's estimated that as much as 28% of the internet is devoted to hardcore pornography. Now, how do you think your 12-year-old daughter, your 14-year-old son, is going to use a smartphone without running into some of it? You know, I'm old enough to remember that when I was a child, the only way a little boy saw a picture of a naked woman was if his buddy's father had one of those magazines stuffed under the mattress. Or he was courageous enough to go into a convenience store and tuck one of those magazines under his shirt. Now we're placing a computer in the hand of a 12-year-old boy and we're saying, take care. I don't know how you parents do it. I mean, many of you, I'm certain, are doing this. Here, go. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Don't say it. Don't tell me. Just behave yourself. Uh, statistically, mom and dad, look, that's not working, just so you know. That's not working. Paulette reminded us a couple of weeks ago that we've yet, we've yet to recognize the impact of an entire generation of Americans being raised on electronic devices, smartphones, iPads, laptops, and video games. Again, let me remind you, this is not an argument. This, I'm not your great-grandfather's, you know, anger against those fancy new motorized cars, okay? hundred years ago, when the automobile was invented, and it began to be mass-produced and manufactured, and it became more and more prevalent as a means of transportation, there were many Americans who resisted it just because they resisted change. But this is not that, you see? There was no part of the invention of the motor car, the automobile, that was purely intent on doing evil. Listen to me. Listen to me. There are parts of technology today built into your smartphone, your iPad, your laptop, your web browser that were born out of purely evil intentions. So that's why I've said repeatedly, parents, if you need help, we can help you. I can't, but there are people in this church who can. They can help you create safeguards to build barriers, to create safety nets for your children. If you'll use a communication card, and write, call me, or technology, or anything like that, someone will do just that and help you out. 
I just want you to count the cost. That's it. We've spent six weeks on the subject. Uh, I just want you to count the cost. Remember, technology has a way of giving with one hand but taking with the other. So let's pause and reflect for a minute about that. You know, I had a conversation with a young man in our church last week. He called to ask about where we are with the Kenya giving. He said, I've got a check. My wife and I want to write a check. Uh, he said, I can either put it in that envelope, he said, or we can give using the kiosks or give online. Which would you rather I do? And I said, well, I'd rather you put a check in that envelope because it costs us 3 to 5% for you to give using those kiosks. And he was shocked. He didn't know that which means his check for $1,000 is actually a check for $970 because we not only have to pay for the service monthly, we have to give away 3% of your gift to this work. Now, a lot of people don't know that. That's because they don't realize that technology gives with one hand, but it takes with the other. Now, don't misunderstand. I expect to pay for that kind of service. There is a certain convenience level that we appreciate regarding that kind of service, but have you counted the costs? Have you paused to think about the loss of intimacy when it comes to you and your husband? In romantic relationships, even in our faith walk with our relationship with God, increasing dependence upon technology is unhealthy in many ways. Listen, husband, wife, if you cannot lay in bed at 11 o'clock with your husband or wife without reaching for your smartphone when it vibrates or when it glows or lights up the ceiling... You've got a problem. You're losing intimacy. Same is true with us in our individual faith walks. Man, I've been concerned about the idea of community. Where's the church going to be in 50 years? I don't know. Because our understanding of community today is very unlike the biblical community described in Scripture. It's very unlike community as we understood it even 25 years ago. Ask yourself, are we more connected or less connected today? because of our smartphones. Again, this is our last opportunity to address this subject. And I'd like to end our discussion with one simple statement. It's the goal in your program. One simple statement, here it is. Careful intentional awareness is necessary for any Christ follower in today's modern world of tech. Careful intentional awareness is necessary for any Christ follower in today's modern world of tech. You see, very, very few people intend to bury themselves in pornography. Very, very few people intend to wreck their marriage as a result of secretive counterfeit intimacy that's built using instant messaging and text messaging and Facebook posts. But the problem is even fewer intended not to. Even fewer intended not to. That's what I want to talk about today. Nicholas Carr wrote an article. I stumbled across it this past week. He writes, the next interactivity gives us powerful new tools for finding information, expressing ourselves, conversing with others. No one would argue with that, and I love that about the Internet. But here's what perhaps we don't recognize as a culture. He goes on, it also turns us into lab rats, constantly pressing levers to get tiny pellets of social or intellectual nourishment. So... For our last time together to address the subject, let's examine a very profoundly powerful passage 
written by the Apostle Paul in the first century, 2,000 years ago, that's ever been as relevant today regarding our subject matter as it was to the church at Ephesus those many years ago. Now, the book of, Ephes uh, of Ephesians is one of many letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to New Testament churches. It is six chapters. It can be neatly divided into two, three-chapter sections. The first three chapters of Ephesians are doctrinal in nature. They describe what it means to be in Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell me what it's like to be made alive in Christ. No longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. It is very doctrinal in its statements. The last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are very practical in nature. So you got the first half devoted to doctrine, what it is to be in Christ. The second chapter vote devoted to application, how that should look in our lives, how we ought to live that out. In the middle of the last section, chapter 5, in the middle of that chapter, there are three verses that will change your life if you'll give them a chance. Again, chapter 5, sandwiched in between very wise words at the beginning of the chapter, forgive one another. We ought to forgive each other because God forgives us. We ought to extend grace to others because God has demonstrated grace to us. And at the end of the chapter, wise words to husbands and wives... Right there in the middle, verses 15, 16, and 17, are three verses of intentionality, of three verses that are life-changing if you'll let them. Read with me, beginning of verse 15, Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes, be very, very careful then how you live. Stop. Be very, very careful then how you live. I thought the object, I thought the goal in American culture is to be carefree. In fact, listen, church, that's one of the promises technology makes. Surround yourself with the right technology and leave the worry to us, right? If you can keep an eye on your home with your cell phone 700 miles away, won't that remove the anxiety from being away from home? Not to me. It would increase it to me. Who wants to go on vacation and stare at their dining room? Not me. Paul says, be very, very careful how you live then. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now he's dividing us into two categories. There are two kinds of technology consumers in America. Wise technology consumers and unwise technology consumers. He goes on. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now here's where Paul starts to sound like a preacher. And if there's anything I've never wanted to sound like, it's a preacher, right? But let's face it. There are certain aspects of technology, especially social media and the internet, built into your smartphone that, whose origins are purely evil. Purely evil. Parents, you got to know this. Paul is saying, just be careful. Be careful how you live. Life is not a free-for-all. Some will live wisely, carefully. Others will choose not to and live unwisely and carelessly. Make the most of the days because the most of the opportunities because the days are evil. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Look at that last statement. What an odd command. I command you to understand. Isn't that odd? I mean, if I were a mathematician, if I were a physics professor, and I wrote this intricate, complicated uh, formula on the chalkboard. 
And I mean, it was filled with parentheses and brackets and X and exponential powers and uh, all these symbols and, and all this mathematical mumbo jumbo. And then I looked at my class and said, okay, you see that? I command you to understand it. Th that's not how we teach. If that's how I taught, I wouldn't be a teacher very long. And yet that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in verse 17. Why? How can he make such a statement? Because the underlying theme and assumption of the book here, especially these three verses, is if you are intentional in how you live, if you are careful, not careless, if you are wise, not unwise, guess what's going to happen? You're going to begin to understand and recognize what God wants. You're going to be able to understand God's leading in your life. See, not if you're carefree, not if you're oblivious, not if you wait until it blows up and say, I never intended for that to go that direction. No, Paul says, when you intend not for it to go that direction, because you are naturally careful, you are wise, you begin to understand what God wants. So today we're going to end our journey with a call to greater intentionality and self-control. It's not January the 1st. It's not the new year. But I'm going to ask you to make five simple resolutions regarding technology in your life and your family. Here they are very quickly. Number one, stay focused when using technology. Statistics are now teaching us that our attention span is diminishing in America. Why? Because we are so prone, so used to, so accustomed to instant results, instant feedback, instant information. My resolution for you and for me, number one, is I need to learn how to stay focused. I need to remember how to think deeply on a subject. You see, while technology can make things easier than they've ever been, they can also make things or make us distracted easier than, it, than we've ever been. So when you've got constant access to email and Twitter feeds and social media, all your favorite apps on your smartphone, it's hard to go from one thing to another and stay focused. I mean, just think about Facebook for a minute. You jump on Facebook to respond to some message. It might cost you several minutes because as you begin to scroll through your feed, you begin to recognize new notifications. You try to remember why you logged on in the first place, but your mind's gone blank. Remember, church, Technology is supposed to be the servant, and you are supposed to be the master. When we lose our ability to focus deeply, we've become the servant. Technology's become the master. Here's resolution number two. You got to protect the key elements of your faith walk. Some of you start and end your day on Facebook. 42 minutes the average American spends on Facebook per day. 42 minutes. And yet nobody's got time for a small group. <laughs> nobody's got time to do a book study. Nobody's got time for personal quiet time, Bible reading, or prayer. 80 times a day the average American glances at their smartphone. And sadly, I don't think we have 80 words a day for a Heavenly Father who would leave the 99 to run us down. Think about that. Online community, church, all your friends online, that's not the same as real, meaningful, biblical community. It's not the same as church community. Your likes, your preferences, listen, church, they're not as important as God's, right? And yet, that's what technology is all about. Your likes, your privacy, your preferences, your likes, your dislikes, 
It's all about you. Remember the first line of Rick Warren's life-changing, best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life? First line, it's not about you. That line alone, many people reported, was the reason they read the book and later the book and its principles literally changed their lives. Because it's not. And yet technology makes it so. So be careful. Here's resolution number three. Don't rush to technological distractions by default. Okay, everybody knows the drill. I'm not going to ask for a share of hands, but how many of you take your phone into the toilet? Why? Well, because otherwise you'll be bored. How many of you use your phone when you're in a waiting room at a dentist's office or a doctor's office? Go into a doctor's office or a dentist's office and try to start a conversation with a stranger. It's almost impossible because everybody's checking email. Everybody's updating Facebook. Everybody's got their nose in a smartphone. See? Again, revolution number, resolution number three, don't rush, rush to technolo technological distractions by default. The fact is, often we're checking things, church, that don't even need to be checked. Can we be honest and admit that? And yet, think of what we're losing. We've forgotten how to be still. We don't know how to be patient we don't know how to remain accessible to people around us. We don't know how to engage, we don't know how to engage others. I had a businessman sit down in my office and he said, Mike, you wouldn't believe the series of interviews I gave to Georgia Southern graduates two weeks ago for a $50,000 a year position in my company. He said they walked in, they sat down, and not one of them could make eye contact with me and hold it for any length of time. Not one of them could express themselves in long, fluid, eloquent sentences. Not one of them reached out to take my hand when they first walked into my office. Not one of them. He said, Mike, Mike, listen to me. What's happening? I said, I don't know. I don't know. But it's got something to do with the distracted lives we live and our willingness to tolerate it as a culture. Again, not trying to sound like Moses or Elijah or Ezekiel, but let's at least pause for a moment, church, and consider it. Think about what you could do with that time in the doctor's office, what you could do with that time standing online in the bank. You could pray. <laughs> you could lift someone else up in prayer. Don't fall back to technological distractions by default. Here's resolution number four. Establish boundaries with technology. That's just another way of saying be careful, especially you parents. Be careful. Are you wise or are you unwise? Are you careful or are you carefree? Are you intentional? Are you paying attention? Listen, church, mark my words. A less is more movement is sweeping America. Millennials by the millions are leaving social media and Facebook. Why? Because they've tasted what it has to offer and distracted living isn't all it's cracked up to be. Here's resolution number five. Realize the limits of your technology. Technology is not God. See? Technology, I cannot scroll my way to financial freedom. Can't be done. I cannot download an app on my cell phone that guarantees my happiness. Can't be done. I cannot point and click my way to a happy relationship or a deep love for my spouse. My smartphone can give me the fishing forecast, the tidal information, the weather forecast next Wednesday in Savannah, and that's the coolest thing ever to me. I dig it. I use it all the time. Love it. But it won't make me happy. It can't make me healthy. 
and it won't solve all of my problems. You see, many of us suffer from an over-exalted view of technology that says, by using technology, by staying connected, by doing what everyone else is doing, well, then everything in my life is going to get better. And we live in fear, fear of missing out. That's called FOMO, by the way. Just learned that. FOMO, F-O-M-O. You ever heard this? Okay, maybe I'm dating myself once again. FOMO means fear of missing out. And all of the Americans are infected by it. When we use technology and we over-exalt its effects on our lives, then more important things get dismissed, get overlooked, get diminished, and it ought not be so. Now look, these resolutions aren't going to change your life. They aren't going to save you from the danger that may be out there, but they're a start at least, and that's all I've wanted for six weeks is to get you to pause, to stop, consider, to be careful, to be wise. Our culture is becoming increasingly dissatisfied with life. Last week, we lost two famous people, a world-famous author, travel expert, chef, Anthony Bourdain with his television show that many of us have seen, a world-famous fashion designer. Someone like me, I stand back and I say, that person must have it all. They have more money than I'll ever see. They have more experiences around the world than I'll ever know. They have more fame and fortune, more notoriety, recognizability. That person's got it made, and yet at 61 years old, Anthony Bourdain chose to hang himself in a hotel room in Paris. Why? Because more and more Americans are leading less and less satisfying lives. Do you know why I think that's so? Do you know why I think suicide in America is on the rise? Why in the last four years since 2015, suicide has jumped 30% in our culture, the greatest nation, the most profitable nation, the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind? Because we leave we, leave, we lead empty lives, dissatisfying lives. In fact, here's what I'll leave you with. Look at it this way. Distraction is one thing. Everybody needs a little distraction in their life. I'll give you that, okay? But when distraction leads to shallow thinking, shallow thinking always produces shallow living, and shallow living leads to dissatisfaction. I started by telling you, I have never been more distracted. <laughs> We've been so busy I'm asking you, do you recognize this cycle in your life? Distraction, shallow thinking, we overlook the important things, and before you know it, we're living shallow lives that are anything but satisfying. Come on, church, let's be careful how we live. Let's be intentional in how we live. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for loving us. God, there is a better life for each of us. It's out there. I know it. God, I pray we don't miss it because we're too distracted with titillation, with entertainment, with momentary enthusiasm or excitement. God, give us a real clear sense of what's important and help us go after it with all our hearts. God, bless us as a church, as individuals. But Father, put your hand on this nation. Open our eyes to the things that really matter most and give us the strength to stand up and pursue them. We want to be wise, Father, not unwise. We want to be careful, not carefree. And then we'll leave the rest with you.
We pray these things because of our faith in your risen son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Fantastic to see you as it always is. I'll see you next time.